So a preacher was pra uh, rehearsing a wedding. It was a Friday night. The wedding was on Saturday. And there and they had the unity candle set up. And, of course, you have two candles with flames on them. And, and then you light the unity candle. And the preacher was explaining that it was symbolic of the two lives becoming one. And, you know, you light the center candle and then you extinguish the other one. One lady said, I never thought of it that way. I thought it meant you were supposed to get rid of all your old flames. And, uh, you know, of course, that's a good way to look at it too. But there's symbolism there in the unity that you need to make a good marriage work. You know, unity is needed in any organization any group that comes together if they're going to be successful especially in the church we need to have unity and unity starts from the top down in most any organization today we're going to think about the unity in the church as we look at uh, our next section of the book of acts uh, we continue this series, The Church is Born, which is a study of the book of Acts. And today we, we think about this idea of unity among believers. And so we, we ask the question, how do we maintain unity among believers? That can sometimes be difficult. But you know, the, the church should always be working toward unity. And that's sometimes hard, especially as you're growing. And the church should also be growing because anytime something grows, there's going to be change. You think about plants. Jeanette has a number of plants. At last count, there were probably between 40 and 50 on our back deck and in our backyard. She loves to collect plants, as, as I say. And they're everywhere. But she's constantly working with those plants because they grow. They have to be repotted. Some of them have to be trimmed. Some of them have to have the old dead stuff pulled. There's always change going on as these plants grow and they thrive. And it's the same way in the church. And it was certainly that way in the early church. As we look at this study of Acts, we will see there's always something going on that they have to change. And today we come to Acts chapter 15 and we begin to see some of the changes that the church was, uh, had to make and how they did that to stay unified as they were growing in the church. They were expanding rapidly. They were going into new areas. They were reaching new people groups. They were using new methods uh, to get the job done. And God blessed the church with leaders who were able to adapt and make the changes that they need to make so that the church could stay unified as they made decisions. Today we pick up just after Paul and Barnabas. Remember last week they went on their first missionary journey and they're back now in Antioch. And we pick up in Acts chapter 15 verse 1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. 
So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. Take note of that, about this question, the question of circumcision and keeping the law of Moses. Verse 3, the church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders whom they reported everything God had done through them. It was a great opportunity for division to creep into the church as these men came and telling this church at Antioch full of Gentiles that they all had to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. The first thing I want us to think about today is we need to let the leadership determine the message. How do we, or the mission, how do we maintain unity among the believers? This is where it starts, when the leadership determines the mission. Unity is found in everybody understanding the mission. Jesus is the leader of the church. Jesus gave the church its mission. Two great passages of Scripture, Matthew 28, he said, Go make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them. And Matthew 22, he said, uh, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you look closely at those and you think about the mission of the church, go make disciples, that's outreach. Uh, baptizing them, that's bringing people in to the fellowship, making them part of the fellowship of the church, the family of the church. Uh, that's fellowship. Uh, you think about teaching them, that's discipleship. You think about loving God, that has to do with worship. Worship is expressing our love to God. And you think about loving others, that's ministry or service to others. So the church is to do those five practices. We are to reach out to other people. We are to have fellowship together. We are to disciple people. We are to serve people, and we are to worship God. That's the ministry of the church that Jesus gave us. You know, these church leaders at Antioch were wise because they said, you know, this, this conflict, we can argue with these guys all day long, but we need to go to our leaders now who are in Jerusalem, the apostles, and those elders there in the church who have been doing this church longer than we have, and we need to settle this question once for all. And the question was one of, do they Gentiles have to be circumcised, and do they have to keep the law? Is that, as these men said, the way to be saved? Well, they went up to the church, and the church welcomed them. They were glad of the progress. But a group of Pharisees who had accepted Jesus uh, and became Christians were now trying to teach that you also needed to hold on to circumcision and the law. They complained that Gentiles 
must be circumcised. They must follow the law of Moses to be saved. What does it mean to be saved? It means to be in good graces with God. You know, everybody, just because you have good health and you have wealth doesn't mean you're saved, doesn't mean you're in good graces with God. It means your sins have been forgiven. You're in a relationship with God. And the apostles and the elders had to deal with this matter that was being asked. They had to settle this for the church to maintain unity going forward. This is actually, if you have an NIB study Bible, you'll see the subtitle there. It says the Jerusalem Council. This has come to be dubbed the Jerusalem Council. And what happened is Peter, he pulled all the apostles together, got the, the uh, elders from that church, and they had a discussion. And then Peter came and spoke, and he said, you know, and we studied this a couple of weeks ago. Some time ago, God poured out his spirit on some Gentiles I was talking to and showed us that he accepted them. Of course, they had not been circumcised. They were not following the law of Moses. And so Peter says, that's not a requirement any longer. We don't have to require the Gentiles to do that. You know, circumcision is a sign of being a Jew. It's not a sign of being saved. It's a sign of being a Jew. And the law was never given for salvation. Listen to what the Apostle Paul would later write uh, or, or, or said back in chapter 13, verse 38. There are more friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. You see, to start with, nobody could perfectly keep the law. And the law was never given to save you. It was given to point out who the sinners were. And in order to get rid of your sin, under the old law, you had to make an animal sacrifice every time you sinned. Under the new covenant with Jesus, Jesus was the sacrifice once for all. And all who believed in him would be forgiven of their sins. So that's where Peter lands on this, of course, discussing it with the other apostles. And they agree that the Gentiles don't have to follow the law of Moses. They don't have to be circumcised. Well, Paul and Barnabas went on to tell how God had blessed those many people that they had shared this gospel message with. Then James got up, and James begins to speak here in chapter 15. And he quotes scripture, and he says, you know... Uh, it's been quoted in the book of Amos, chapter 9, and he quotes this scripture that talks about David's fallen tent, that is, the people of God will be rebuilt, and that the Gentiles will be included. And he says, this is my judgment in this matter, that the Gentiles who come to God, that what we should tell them is to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. Now, 
That seems strange to us. And we might say, well, if that's what you got to do to be saved, then I qualify because I've never done any of that. But he's not talking about salvation. We go back to what Peter said. Salvation comes through forgiveness of sins by faith in Jesus Christ. Not by this. What James is talking about is that there has to be a way to maintain unity in the church because these are practices of the Gentile pagan religions. And that as the church of Christ, they don't want to be uh, seen as participating in the things that the, the uh, pagan religions participate in. So James says, I think it'd be a good idea if we send them a message saying, you know, yeah, they got to have faith in Jesus, but that they should not practice the things that the pagans do in their ritual worship. It agreed with everybody. They wrote a letter. That letter was taken by delegates along with Paul and Barnabas go back to Antioch. They take some delegates from Jerusalem, among which was Judas, uh, not Judas Iscariot, but this is Judas, the son of James, and Silas, another figure that's become, become prominent in the Bible. And they were prophets in the church there in Jerusalem. They go with Paul and Barnabas to tell this good news to the church at Antioch. And it says they encouraged and strengthened the church. You see, what was happening is there was unity because everybody was focused on the right thing, and that is bringing people to faith in Christ and strengthening those people that come to Christ so that they become mature disciples of Christ. what the leaders in Antioch did was sought the leadership of the apostles. You know, in our day, we seek the leadership of the apostles too. Although we don't have apostles that are alive, we seek it through the New Testament. That's where we get our doctrine about the church. And so we have a group of elders here that oversee our church, and that group of elders seeks the wisdom of the New Testament that was written by the apostles and some of their cohorts uh, that were alive during their time. And we seek that wisdom as we seek to lead the church. So you got to let the leadership determine the mission. Otherwise, if anybody just starts teaching all kind of stuff, then you get off track and there is division in the church. Now, this next section that we're going to look at in some ways is sad, but we can learn something from it. There in chapter 15, verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. You remember we saw that on their first missionary journey, Mark went with them, but for some reason he left, and Paul didn't want to bring him. Verse 39, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. 
Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. The next thing I want you to think about is don't let disagreement get in the way of the mission. How do we maintain unity among believers? We don't let disagreements get in the way of our mission. There's going to be disagreements. Not everybody's always going to agree on how we do ministry. Here Mark, or, or excuse me, Barnabas and Paul had a disagreement. One wanted to take Mark, the other didn't want to take Mark. The important thing is that they didn't let that stop them from doing ministry. So what did they do? They decided to go two different ways. Barnabas went down the way they had gone on their first missionary journey, sailing off to Cyprus to go back and check on those churches. Paul went back the other way to the churches that they had been up in the northern part of Asia Minor and went to talk to those churches. So they each took different uh, helper with them, Barnabas taking Mark, Paul taking Silas, and they went and they did ministry. You know, sometimes when it comes down to exactly how we're going to do the ministry, we just have to agree to disagree. That's what Paul and Barnabas did. And that's okay because there was still respect among Paul and Barnabas. We see later on Paul praising Barnabas in the Scriptures. We see that uh, later on that Mark was present with Paul when he was in house arrest in Rome. And when he was under his second arrest in Rome in a maritime dungeon, he writes to Timothy to come visit, and he says, bring Mark with you. He's useful in my ministry. So it wasn't that they were against each other. They just had different ideas about how they were going to do that particular ministry at that time. I want you to notice that these leaders in the church, what they always kept in focus was that we're going to new people to bring salvation to them and we're going to strengthen those who were already saved. Saving and strengthening was always at the heart of their mission. So they disagreed that one time, but they stayed focused on the mission. There was a new preacher came to a church, and people in that church, when it came time to have the morning prayer, he would uh, stand up to pray, and half the church would stand up, and half the church would stay seated. Well, this aggravated him, and they were bickering back and forth about staying seated or standing. And finally, he couldn't get any resolution to this, so he went to the old preacher, and he said, every Sunday, I get ready to pray, and half the church stands up. Is that the tradition? No, said the old preacher. He said, well... Half the church stays seated. Is that the tradition? No, says the preacher. Well, he said, the new preacher said, well, i got to tell you, every week, half are standing, half are seating, and one 
half is screaming, the other half is shouting at the other one. That, said the old preacher, is the tradition. But it shouldn't be. You know, people often have conflict in the church over things that are not even biblical. Believe it or not, the Bible doesn't say what your posture should be when you pray. It doesn't say you should stand or you should sit. In fact, most often when people in the Bible prayed, it says they bowed down face to the ground. I, nobody in here would agree with that if we tried to practice that. It doesn't even say in the Bible, every head bowed and every eye closed. And we get into arguments about things that are not even biblical. You know, the leaders need to make the decision. Maybe the decision in that church is if you want to stand while we pray, stand. If you want to stay seated while we pray, stay seated. But let's not argue about what we're doing. You have to follow the leaders. And the leaders have to make a stand, and people should follow to keep the unity so that we make sure that our focus is saving the lost and strengthening the saved. Well, we move on into chapter 16. Verse 1, Paul came to Derby, then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on a journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. They traveled from town to town. They delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. The churches were strengthened and grew and people were saved. You know why? Because they perform the mission. How do we stay unified in the church? We perform the mission. We don't spend our time arguing and complaining about what we don't like. We just get out and do the mission. And we save people by taking the message of the gospel. That simple message that you are forgiven by grace through faith in Jesus. You repent of your sins. You're baptized into Christ. And you're raised out of that water into a new life. And you begin to follow Jesus. You perform the mission. Strengthening people means that we're teaching them to help them mature. And back in chapter 15, verse 41, it says, Paul went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Here in 16, verse 5, Paul and Silas traveled from town to town. The churches were strengthened in the faith. Over in 1823, they traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. You see what they were doing? They were saving the lost, they were strengthening the saved, and that brings unity into the church when we stay focused on that mission. I want to put up a map here for just a minute. Uh, this is Paul's second journey. We saw last week uh, they left Antioch over on this side and they went down to Cyprus and then went up 
uh, into the region of Galatia up there. This time, Paul goes the opposite way. He goes by land, and he stops by his hometown of Tarsus, hits Derby and Iconium and Lystra in reverse order of the way he hit them the last time because he was coming from the other direction. He moves on over to Troas, and you know what happens when he's at Troas? He wants to go north and take the gospel up there, but what happens is the Holy Spirit speaks to him. He has a vision in a dream, and he's, he, it prevents him from going. And so he has this vision of a man from Macedonia, which is over here where the green line goes, the northern part of Greece, and he goes over into that region to Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, and makes his way to Corinth, then over to Ephesus. Uh, and he goes uh, kind of backwards from the way he went on his first missionary journey. Paul had a, a fruitful ministry on this trip, and he met a lot of people. Some of the, in the book of Acts, there are eight different conversion experiences where people specific people come to know Christ and a couple of these are here uh, Lydia a seller of purple cloth in Philippi a jailer where Paul is actually thrown in prison and we don't have time to get into all that but uh, he leads the chick jailer to Christ he goes on into Thessalonica Berea Athens he's able to speak to the Areopagus Athens is a university town and there are many uh, learned thinkers in the Areopagus and they debate all the latest thoughts and he's able to share the gospel with these and some believed and some rejected and he goes on uh, he establishes one of the great churches in Corinth uh, Corinth was well it, it's been described as Las Vegas on steroids it was a sinful place he meets Priscilla and Aquila there, and his, his second journey ends. He goes back to Antioch, and then we put the next map up of the third journey, and he pretty much takes the same route because he wants to strengthen the churches there, and he goes back the way he did from uh, Antioch, and he goes to Tarsus and travels through those same towns, goes back into Macedonia, comes around, then he travels back through those churches. He's really wanting to, to make those churches uh, strong and strengthen them. But as he comes back and heads back toward home, he doesn't go back to Ephesus. Now, he had spent three years in Ephesus the first time. He had grown very close to those people. But he gets to this little town of Miletus on the coast, and he sends for the elders... And the whole of chapter 20, he talks to them, strengthening them. Uh, he was in a hurry to get back to Jerusalem and report all that he had done. And as he talks to those, uh, to those elders there in Jerusalem, he says this, verse 20, chapter 20, verse 20. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly from house to house. He's talking about strengthening them. 
I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. He's talking about saving people. Again, you see, as he's leaving these, these Ephesians elders, he wants to make sure they understand what's important is getting people saved and strengthening those who are already saved. And that brings us to our connection. We maintain unity as we strive to save the lost and strengthen the saved. That's our mission. You know what? At Central Christian, we frame it in the idea of taking the hope of Jesus to the world. You know, we say, because we know hope changes everything. And we do that by loving God and loving people and serving both. And you know, when we get out of that, we get on the wrong track. I read something this week. Uh, I hadn't read this before. The 50 worst product flops of all time. And this article talked about companies that, that made things that really flopped. For example, Google Glass. Google made these glasses that were actually a cell phone. Uh, they had a phone in the arm of it, and you could talk on the phone. It would also put inside the glass, you could see a text message. It would appear right on the screen of the glasses. And it would do several other things. It was a big flop. Burger King had something called Satisfies. Fries. They were healthy French fries. They did not satisfy. Uh, New Coke, remember that one? It was a big flop. Windows Vista was a big flop. There were others. But a couple of companies got, they got into marketing stuff that was really not their forte. For example, this one. Colgate, the toothpaste people, kitchen entrees. Frozen food made by Colgate, the toothpaste people. Uh, somehow, I, I just, if I ate that, I would taste that minty, fresh taste, and, and it was a big flop. Harley Davidson, the motorcycle people, they got into making cologne and aftershave. In 1979, Clairol Company, the shampoo people, added yogurt to their shampoo. It was a big flop because people were eating their shampoo for breakfast. My favorite, though, was Frito-Lay got into uh, flavored lip balm. Cheetos flavored lip balm. Somehow, if I put that on, I would just feel like these big orange lips. You know how that powder gets all over you when you eat Cheetos? I love Cheetos. I just hate the mess that they make. And I would feel like I had that mess on me all the time. Why did they flop? Because they got out of their lane. Frito's not in the lip balm business. They're in the snack business. You know, uh, Harley-Davidson's not in the cologne business. They're in the motorcycle business. Uh, Colgate's in the toothpaste business and, and the bathroom stuff that you need. When you get off focus, things don't go well. And in the church, when we remember, our focus is to save the lost and to strengthen the saved. And how do we do that? 
those five purposes I talked about, the outreach and the fellowship and the worship and the discipleship and the ministry. And you know what? As Chris mentioned in the uh, announcements this morning, you're going to have a chance to do some outreach and some ministry this coming Saturday. We're inviting the whole church to meet at Fairmount School at 8.30. We're going to spread some mulch for them. Uh, we'll have some tools, but if you have a wheelbarrow or a rake or a shovel that you can move uh, some, some mulch, then we'd love to have you over there to join us to help. We'll feed you breakfast. We'll meet there at 8.30, eat a biscuit, and then we'll start work at 9 o'clock. And you can do some of what Paul was doing. You can reach out and you can serve the community. Let's pray. God, we thank you today for men, Paul and Barnabas and Silas and Mark, Lord, who, who gave their lives. They went out and they shared the gospel. And to those who knew the gospel, they strengthened them and built them up and helped them grow and know more about Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, that you help us keep that as our focus. We see that the early church was, was successful. They reached many people, many rejected, but many believed. And Lord, because of their work, we have our church here today. And so we pray that you help us to go about our business the same way, that we keep our focus to save the lost and strengthen the saved so that we can continue the church and help the church be successful and fruitful in all that she does. In the name of Jesus, I pray and praise today. Amen.